Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Setlist, in association with 7Digital. This week, R. Kelly, HMV, and Rihanna. Welcome to Setlist, the music business podcast from CMU. I'm Andy Maltz. With me is Chris Cook. Hello, Chris. Happy New Year. You told me outside that I couldn't say Happy New Year. Well, I why, didn't. Why have you said it? Because we have not actually been face to face in 2019, but we have exchanged an awful lot of messages mm. through digital platforms, mm. mainly Slack. Yeah, only Slack, I think. So therefore, it doesn't feel that in a personal capacity we should be saying Happy New Year. But you see, just then, I wasn't saying Happy New Year to you. If I'd been saying Happy New Year to you, I would have said Happy New Year, Andy. Would you? I was saying Happy New Year, no, but <laughs> I was saying Happy New Year to our listeners. Very arrogant of you to assume that I was saying Happy New Year to you. They can't all have a Happy New Year. That's statistically impossible. New Year. There you go. That's not setting me. Yeah. It is New Year. Okay, New Year. Moderately all right, New Year. It is 2019. Sorry if you're not having a good New Year. I'm sorry if I'm so flippant about that. Straight off. It's fine. They'll get over it. New Year, let's uh, get some unapologetic bite into the podcast. <laughs> okay. That's what I say. It's too late. I've already apologised. It is 2019. Well, we can edit it out. It is 2019, even though the, uh, the first week back, mm. I had no problem typing 2019. Yeah. This second week back, I've gone back to typing 2018. As the more pedantic readers may have noticed... In month, I think it was Monday's CMU oh, day. Really? Did I miss that the too? subject? What was the subject line? So to oh. be fair, Andy doesn't proof the subject line. I don't. I expect it to be correct. <laughs> and I inserted 2018. I do. I mean, I four editions had already gone out. Not once did I even conceive of typing 2018 in the subject line. And then on the Monday morning, I reverted. So, um, but well, hope, let's see what can go wrong with this first edition of the podcast. Hopefully nobody noticed that that happened on Monday. Then on Tuesday, mm. have you noticed I'm being much more proactive on my social networks? Um, well, I only use Instagram, but yeah. Um, my New Year's resolution is to actually post on the social networks. Yeah. And on the Tuesday, I posted a diagram that lots of people were like, oh, it's a great diagram, love that. And then somebody pointed out a typo on uh. a diagram. And the thing I learned, a bit of social media facts... Facebook's the only platform where you can re-upload a photo within the same post. Yeah. Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, the only thing you can do is delete. So a little bit of social media education this week. So that's what's been happening in my world this week. Which, uh, regular listeners will know, is not what we're here for. We're here because we're going to take a look back at some of the biggest and most interesting news stories in the music industry of the last week. Or so, because we've, so, we've been away. We've been off for a month or something. So we've got quite a lot to cover. Yeah, it was the week that Fabric boarded itself up, which not quite sure if they thought when they were old, as a big publicity thing, we just board up the venue of Black boards. Yeah, when you say that, you mean, so Fabric, the club in London. They wiped all their social media, they blacked out their website, they deleted their Facebook page entirely, and they put actual physical black painted wooden boards around the club. As and, if it had shut down. Yeah, which 
I mean, as discussed on this show in the past, Fabric did shut down for a while. So people who only saw the club being boarded up or who only saw that the Facebook page has been completely taken down got slightly alarmed and thought, oh, no, it's closed down again. Yeah, because obviously when it closed down, what was that, 2016? 2016, yeah. That was because Islington Council withdrew their licence. So, yeah, I think there were people thinking, oh, my God, over Christmas when none of us were paying attention, something has happened and Fabric is no longer in business. But... It's all part of their 20th anniversary celebrations. It was a gimmick. Yeah. Fabric is 20 years old this year. And... The shtick in the announcement that subsequently came out was along the lines of, even though it's our 20th anniversary, and so you might be thinking that we're going to spend the year looking back at the last two decades, we're future thinking, we're going to use our 20th anniversary to look to the future of clubbing and dance music and all the things that Fabric stands for, which I think was the justification for, in essence, wiping clean and starting again all the social stuff, and then the implication that they're doing a bit of a refit on the venue, I think, or they're putting some new paint on the walls anyway. Everyone likes paint. Everyone likes paint. So there's already quite a lot of special events announced. Yeah, they're going to have 20 parties between now and October. The first batch of which they've already announced. They're going to start a new compilation series. They used to have the Fabric Live compilation series every month. They've now got a new one called Fabric Presents that comes out quarterly. Fabric Live isn't dead. They're going to have Fabric Live stages at a couple of London festivals. And then there's new residents, in addition to the existing residents, they've not been replaced. And they said that there's going to be loads more stuff happening over the next year. Another bit of social media bit I learned this week. Do you want another mm. social media fact? I suppose so. As I've already given you one. You said that they wiped clean all their social media apart from Facebook, which they shut down. Yeah. Apparently that's because you can shut down your Facebook page, but then reactivate it within a month yes. and not lose any of your data or contacts. Correct. Whereas you couldn't do that with the others. Well, you can archive all your posts on Instagram and then unarchive them later. Twitter, if you delete everything on Twitter, that is gone. But crucially, if you were to shut down your Instagram, your Instagram shut down. Yes. So that was why they could do that with Facebook, but they couldn't. See, I've turned a really exciting story about oh, uh, Fabric's 20th anniversary into a tedious bit of really social media information. Now. Anyway, it's not even what we're here to discuss this week. But it's very educational. Is it? I think it's very educational. It? it might turn out that 99% of our listeners already knew both of those things I've just revealed about social media. I'm sure they did. And now they'll be going, that's not educational. No. So let's get on with what we are here to talk about and maybe somewhere in the next 40 minutes of podcast something educational will actually happen well we can only hope well let's see what we're going to talk about this week we're going to talk about hmv going into administration for the second time going for the triple and rihanna suing her dad for fraudulently exploiting her brand but first the music news story you cannot have failed to see in some form since the beginning of this year, is the latest scrutiny of abuse accusations against R. Kelly. This came as US TV network Lifetime aired a six-part documentary series called Surviving R. Kelly, which featured interviews with several of his accusers, families of others, former business partners, members of his own family, and a smattering of celebrities. Yeah, so this was a big TV show over in the US and spilled over into all the news programmes and the social feeds, prompting a really big debate. Now, obviously, anybody who has been paying any attention for the last very long time... 20 years? Very few of these allegations are new. There have been accusations of both physical and sexual abuse against R. Kelly and also him having sexual relations with underage girls. These allegations have been made many times over the years. 
And we've reported on them in the CMU Daily. Obviously, there was that BBC Free documentary. We were reporting on that. And then there was a report, I think, in BuzzFeed. And we reported BuzzFeed was Rolling on Stone that. as well. So we've reported on all of those as they've come up in the CMU Daily. We've tended not to talk about it on the podcast because it's not necessarily the kind of story that we want to dwell on. But what we are interested in and why I think it is worth talking about this time is the response, the media response and the industry response to this latest documentary series. Because I think the interesting thing this time round, given, as we say, few of these allegations are new, that we have seen a much more proactive and vocal response from the media and particularly the music industry and actually really the music community, the artist community, in a way that we've never seen before. Yeah, it really seems to have pushed awareness of this long-running story up a level. As you said, this was a big show, heavily promoted, widely talked about, and that's certainly had something to do with it. I mean, I think another really key thing is that, I mean, I mentioned there were celebrities on this programme. John Legend and Chance the Rapper were involved in it, speaking out against R. Kelly, and that hasn't really happened before. People haven't been willing to kind of put their necks out and speak against R. Kelly. And I think that's caused a big shift in the way this has been talked about and other people's response to it. And I think Chance the Rapper's involvement in the programme was particularly interesting because John Legend, although he may not have proactively spoken out about this story before, is someone who is often out there. He is quite political. He's very eloquent on, on issues like this. And he's also much more established himself in terms of his career, whereas Chance the Rapper is younger and is still, I mean, obviously he's had a huge amount of success, yeah. but I think still has a long way to go in terms of expanding his career and what he does. And also, of course, the reason why I think people particularly latched onto what he was saying was because he's had relatively recent collaborations with R. Kelly. Yes, so he did a track with him in 2015 and he performed with him at Coachella at the same year. So he has, yeah, as you say, worked with Kelly and was on this show saying that he now regretted that. And both him and John Legend have both continued to comment on this on social media after the show went out. So they're not just sort of sticking that opinion out there in a TV show and then letting it fly. They are still speaking to people who support them in that. They're speaking to people who, who don't, because obviously R. Kelly has been famous a long time and he has a lot of supporters and that's been a big thing throughout this whole story. Whenever you report on it, you get a lot of people speaking out in favour of R. Kelly. Because of course, media. the important thing to say is that throughout, and as you say, there have been a lot of allegations over a lot of years and throughout and to this day, R. Kelly and his attorney and his management, etc., insist that he is innocent of all of these allegations and has various explanations as to why quite so many people have come forward accusing him of various different kinds of sexual abuse over the years. And yeah, you're right that there are still people who are standing up and supporting R. Kelly, I think particularly among his fan base, but also within the music community. The other interesting thing was after the programme had gone out and the quotes from John Legend and Chance Rapper in particular went viral on the social networks and lots of news media were picking up on them. And then what we immediately then started to see was other artists who have collaborated with R. Kelly in particularly more recent years started to be called out on the social networks yes. in saying, we respect Chance the Rapper for what he said on this programme. Why hasn't this person and this person either participated in the programme or at least commented? And obviously, a lot of focus went on Lady Gaga, yes. who, again, has a relatively recent collaboration with R. Kelly, but also, obviously, has been very outspoken about supporting other women who have made allegations against other people of sexual abuse and the similar sorts of things that R. Kelly is accused of. So I think there was a sense on the social networks of if anybody should be apologising for past participation with R. Kelly, it should be Lady Gaga. She wasn't involved in the programme, although 
She did follow up and respond pretty damn quickly afterwards. Yeah, she put out a statement saying that she now regretted working with Kelly. She recorded a track with him in 2013 called Do What You Want. She also made a controversial video which was never actually released. And she spoke about that and her mental state at the time of making that song and video and what she was trying to achieve with it and how now she could see that was sort of misjudged. And so she not only said, I regret doing this, she also said, I'm going to withdraw this track from digital music services, which she then did. That's no, you can, now cannot listen to that song on any of your streaming services or download it from iTunes or anything like that. It's gone. Which I suppose leads us to the element of this story, which is interesting to debate. And I think it's, it's totally relevant for us to debate. We don't want to dwell on the specific allegations. You can go and read about those and hear both sides of the argument and, and form your own opinion on that. But the movement calling for the music industry and the media to boycott R. Kelly and calling on radio stations to not play his music and on venues not promote his shows. Now, that movement has been gaining momentum for a couple of years now. Yeah. And we have started to see some businesses respond to it. Obviously, last year, one of the big stories was Spotify when they launched their hate content policy, where they said, OK, we're going to have a policy about content that we think is hateful and shouldn't be on our platform. But at the same time, they said, not only are we going to have a policy about hate content, we're also going to have a policy about hateful conduct, where allegations have been made about artists that we think means that we shouldn't be supporting them. And the first artist who, in theory, was not going to be added to Spotify playlists because of that policy was R. Kelly. Spotify then (laughs) received a backlash on that and backtracked on a bunch of that and then went very quiet on it. But as I say, there has been this movement calling for people to boycott R. Kelly's music, and that has only heightened in the wake of this documentary with those calls being made again. And also, once Lady Gaga had said that she was going to take down this track where she collaborated with R. Kelly off the streaming platforms, similar demands being made of other artists who have collaborated with him, particularly in recent years. Yeah, well, Chance the Rapper has taken down his collaboration with R. Kelly somewhere in paradise. Lady Gaga, if you go on Spotify, it's on her art pop album and that song's just sort of greyed out. There's no mention of the Chance the Rapper track ever having existed. It's just deleted from everywhere now. Phoenix featured R. Kelly on a remix of theirs a few years ago. They put out a statement saying they now regretted that and shouldn't have worked with him and should have been more aware of the accusations against him. But their track is still available. They haven't taken it down. There were rumours that Celine Dion was going to have a track that she did with R. Kelly, I think, in the 90s removed, although as of this moment, that is still available too. So some tracks have come down, some tracks haven't. But it's an interesting debate. Some radio stations, particularly in the US, have said, that's it, we're never going to playlist or play R. Kelly tracks again. And some of the live music companies that have worked with him and Sony Music, his record company, are coming under pressure to also act. But we do have the issue that, although these are terrible allegations that have been made against him, they've been made by numerous women over many, many years. But at the same time, he continues to deny the allegations. There are no actual charges currently on the table. Various authorities in the US have, on the back of the documentary, asked for the alleged victims to come forward so that maybe some prosecutions can take place. There has been quite a lot of legal action about these allegations over the years, none of which have got to court, all of which were civil cases, except there was one criminal case. He was charged. And on that time, he was acquitted. So it is that tricky thing that these are very serious allegations and worrying allegations, but they are currently that. They are allegations. And it sort of plays into the whole trial by social media thing, doesn't it? Yes. Of 
we have a system <laughs> whereby when allegations come up, there's a process through which those allegations can be formally made and everyone has their day in court and the criminal justice system then reaches a verdict. And so there is an element, and some people would strongly argue this, it's not for people to decide on the basis of allegations on TV shows and on social media to act. We should wait until something has actually happened through the criminal justice system. The flip side of that is the criminal justice system in the US, the UK and elsewhere has a very, very long history of utterly failing the victims of the kind of crimes that are in this case. So you're sort of in a, a no-win space of, on one level, very sympathetic to the whole idea of innocent until proven guilty, and should we be commercially attacking somebody on allegations alone, but on the flip side, huge, huge sympathies for the alleged victims. So I can sort of see if I was Sony Music or I was the ticketing companies and the live companies working with R. Kelly, I don't know there's a right thing to do. I don't no. know what I would well, do. There's, I mean, I think as a, an individual artist, you made a track with R. Kelly that you're now uncomfortable about, then you're perfectly within your rights to, to just remove it and say, okay, we'll just brush that one aside. Yeah, and, and, I would totally agree And I'll, I'll apologise for yeah. having done it and say these are my reasons for doing it. But yeah, there are rumours as of this moment that uh, I think TMZ had spoken to sources who said that Sony Music is sitting on new music by R. Kelly and not putting it out. But in part, that would be because, I mean, it would be a really bad time to release new music. I mean, Sony's already under a lot of pressure to drop him. But to, at this point in time, say, well, we're going to use all this great publicity <laughs> to put out a new album by R. Kelly. That's not going to come over very well yeah, so for anyone. The point you're saying is that could well be a commercial decision rather, rather than, than a, a moral decision, a moral yeah. statement that they're making. But it, I say it, it is a really tricky I mean, I, thing. Did, I asked Sony to, and they did not reply. Yeah, they are not commenting on any of this at the moment. I mean, last year when the whole Spotify thing came up, obviously with Spotify's hateful conduct policy, they weren't saying that they were going to stop R. Kelly or any of the other artists that were mentioned as potentially falling under that. They weren't going to take the music off the platform. No, they, they were just gonna weren't going to actively promote it. Yeah, the platform's open to anybody, providing the actual lyrical content isn't in some way... Although even when with hateful content, you get into the whole thing of is somebody being satirical in what they're saying? So even that's a tricky thing. But they weren't saying that they were going to remove the content. Yeah, yeah, as you say, they just said that they weren't going to playlist it. And I do think, you know, at radio stations, obviously a lot of daytime radio around the world is heavily playlisted. So the people actually presenting don't have the right to choose the tracks. Somebody else chooses the tracks and they just play what they're told to play. And I do sort of feel with something like this that maybe where that is the case, individual DJs should be allowed to make a choice. Hmm. And they can decide whether or not they think... I feel uncomfortable having to talk around and champion this music in the current environment versus I buy the whole instant until proven guilty argument, so therefore I'm going to carry on playing it. But yeah, when people are saying to the Sonys of this world, you should stop working with this guy, I mean, that is in essence completely blocking any of R. Kelly's, well, in this case, new music from getting out there. It's not saying, well, we'll let it slip out there and then each individual listener, each individual music fan can make their own decision on whether or not they want to listen to the music. It's actually saying we're going to put up a wall and stop any new music from getting out into the world. Yeah, I mean, that's another sort of thing you touched on. There. An interesting thing is that the Spotify report, there'd been a spike in listening of R. Kelly on its platform after this show had aired. And there were a lot of people saying, I can't believe people are rushing to listen to R. Kelly. Although then that's interesting because it's obviously... Things are different in the streaming world. If you watch a TV show and you think, well, that's interesting, I'd like to go back and listen to my CD of 
R. Kelly's early work to see if there are any clues linked to these allegations in that music. I mean, you can do that in the privacy of your own home. No one will ever know that you listen to that CD. But if you are then curious about his music on a streaming service, it creates a spike in his listening and it can be reported in the news. Yeah, I did a quick chat with uh, Radio 1's Newsbeat about that particular element of this story. Why had this spike occurred after the show had gone out? And obviously, I think different people are going to be going to Spotify to listen to that music for different reasons. So yes. some, exactly what you said, actually, they want to go and reevaluate songs that perhaps they used to sing along to. Yeah. And, and they now want to go and listen and think, actually, were there clues or hints in there? Or maybe sort of a, a kind of morbid curiosity of, well, can I still listen to his music? Or yeah. will it will that have an effect on me? Of course, as we've said, amongst his fan base, there are still plenty of people who believe his line that all of these allegations are untrue. And so they might be motivated by supporting their idol. I'm, I'm going to deliberately go and listen to it to stand up for the musician that I'm still a fan of. I think some people, R. Kelly's name was all over the news networks and social feeds. Most of the news networks, when they were reporting on it, were playing snippets of his music into their packages. And I think some people were just like, oh, yeah, that's a song I've not heard in a long yeah. time. I want to go and listen to it again, just like you would if you're exposed to any other music. But yeah, I think that point you're raising there is an interesting thing, that that phenomenon of there's a scandal around an artist, people start listening to their music again, has probably always been the case. But it's only in the streaming age that the industry and the media can actually see that happening in real time. So, yes. so we now have stats about that phenomenon, which has probably always existed whenever there has been some sort of scandal around a pop star in the past. Yeah, I mean, it really feels like this story is building to something now, even though it's been going on for such a long time. And the journalist Jim Derrigatis has reported it for such a long time now and has always firmly spoken out against R. Kelly and said how he believes that he's guilty of these crimes. It's as a result of his reporting, whether he's reported for the, I think, the Chicago Tribune for a long time. It was his reporting for BuzzFeed particularly that, that helped bring these allegations to light again. But it does feel like it's reached a new level now where something's happening. There are now authorities at least starting investigations, trying to get people to come forward to press criminal charges. That's the only thing that would end this, I think, if he was convicted of a crime. If he was acquitted again, I don't think it would end it. And if nothing happens, I don't think it'll end it. This will just be ongoing. So, well, we'll see what happens now. But certainly the attention on it at the moment is, I think, the most has ever been. And as we said at the start of this section, the big difference I'm seeing this time that we've not seen every time these allegations have come up before, even during the court case, where, as we say, he was acquitted, and the past documentaries and revelations, is the response from the artist community in, in a way that, that we have not seen before. So we will see how it develops. But as I say, it throws up all sorts of questions around how do you respond to allegations, not convictions to allegations. It's a really tricky thing, particularly with the kinds of crimes that are being alleged here, where the criminal justice system in the main has proven itself not to be very effective, which I suppose in some ways is ultimately what we need. We need that side of the law to get better at servicing those victims, both for the benefit of the victims, but also anybody who is falsely accused down the line. But that's a very uh, big ask that we're not here to uh, sort out today. Still to come, Rihanna accuses her dad of ripping her off. But now, as I think we predicted in our special edition on HMV last year, the music retailer went into administration for the second time over the Christmas break. Yeah, so these set list 25th anniversary specials that we've been putting out since last May, we did a whole one of those on HMV 
and in particular the original collapse of HMV back in 2013, which was a long time coming, <laughs> and it finally went under in early 2013, was bought out of administration by this company called Hilco. And then on that special edition, we talked about what Hilco had done with HMV. So the first thing they did was they streamlined the network of stores, although they still kept a lot of stores open. Yeah, well, they, uh, they, they renegotiated rents or moved the stores to cheaper shops. They put the focus back on the core entertainment retail products, so CDs, DVDs and games. And they tried to capitalise on the vinyl revival, get a little bit more live events going on in the stores again. And things seemed to tick along all right for a number of years. And when we recorded that special edition, was it last June, July, I think? I mean, we weren't predicting that the next administration would be this quick. No. We did say that because the all-new HMV had very much honed in on the traditional products of CD, DVD and games, physical entertainment products, all of which continue to be in steady decline, it is true that the decline in CDs in recent years hasn't been quite as drastic as perhaps we expected it to be, although it is kind of speeding up again. DVDs certainly have been through that rapid decline that happened to CDs 10 years ago. But we did say in that podcast, because they've honed in on the physical entertainment products, which continue to go into decline, and which are ultimately in terminal decline, I mean, they will always exist as some sort of premium special edition for core fan base type products, you know, sort of CDs as merch in in the same way that what's happened with vinyl since the start of the vinyl revival. But as mainstream products that you would sell on the high street, they were in terminal decline. And so therefore, it did feel that Hilco were looking at the HMV business as almost managed decline. Yeah. How long can we go while continuing to squeeze a profit out of this business? And it did feel like we were talking, well, I think we said we wouldn't expect it to be more than five years of continuing to make money out of this business. It turned out it was nearly five months. (laughs) So yeah, over the Christmas break, Hilco announced that they were putting HMV back into administration. Yeah, well, we expected it to be longer to the next administration. I think they expected it to be a bit longer as well. Maybe the five years we were predicting, maybe not, but uh, certainly longer than the end of the same year. It came after Christmas, after a disappointing fourth quarter, where particularly the boss of HMV and Hilco, Paul McGowan, honed in on a steep decline in the DVD market, saying that it was a 30% decline in their revenues there year on year. That had made that part of the market unsustainable. And if that's a third of your business, that's going to make things tricky. He also blamed a general malaise on the British high street. And as actually has been a story running for small music venues recently as well, the restructuring of business rates in the UK, which he said had put their costs up and made things unviable in a lot of stores. Yeah, there was an article in one of the financial papers honing in on that particular element. You're right, when Hilco put out the statement saying we're putting HV back into administration, although the statement did mention the slump in DVD sales, it did mention that everybody on the high street had had a really tricky Christmas quarter. They really went big on the business rates thing, uh, laying into the government in essence. There was a review of business rates in the UK a few years ago that kicked in a couple of years ago. But one of the things that this article was saying is that HMV, in theory, should have been a bigger beneficiary from the rejig of the business rates that are being paid on the high street stores. But when they change business rates, and the reason they change is because business rates are linked to the value of the property that you are in. So if property values are slumping and some of the high street properties where HMV had their stores had slumped in recent years, then the business rate should come down. But the system is set up that when the business rates are redone, 
the change is coming gradually. And that's to benefit the people whose business rates are going up. So they don't immediately get a massively bigger bill the next year. They slowly go up. But actually, if you're a beneficiary of the review, and ultimately your rates are coming down, but instead of coming down immediately, it takes five years for them to come down, then that's not so good. And that was one of the things that hit HMV. They didn't quite see the benefit they should have done because of the way that they are being graded in. And indeed, as you said, in some places, their rates probably went up. Whatever you think about any of that, Hilco seemed very keen to say that business rates have been a big issue for them. Yes, although the administration does follow a trend that we've seen for HMV worldwide, the Canadian business, which was also owned by Hilco, shut down entirely. Just before Christmas, we saw seven stores in Hong Kong, which was owned by a Chinese company, not Hilco, shut down. I mean, it's globally difficult. I mean, I buy totally that it's difficult on the high street in the UK, but I think it's possibly difficult in the high street everywhere. And of course, it is no secret that physical entertainment product is in decline. And eventually, as I say, it will become a premium product that it probably doesn't make sense to sell on the high street. And so it has been, well, how long can we squeeze more money out of that? Some people have been critical of the way Hilco structured the business or indeed the money that they were pulling out of the business. But I mean, in defense of Hilco, I think in 2013, when the old HMV went into administration, We didn't expect as many stores to stay in business after that administration. So Hilco did allow a pretty decent-sized chain of stores to keep going for another five years. And I suppose that brings us to the music industry's response to this. And it has been interesting watching the way that record companies and the music industry at large and indeed other retailers have been responding to this. Because I think nobody wants to see HMV disappear off the high street. No. Nobody wants music retail to no longer have a national chain, a brand on high streets all over the country. Although there isn't the sense of panic that there was in 2013. No. Well, 2013, that, the first administration was a long time coming. There were a lot of attempts to change things to kind of help the company along a bit. But there was definitely, there was panic in the record industry that HMV might disappear and that would be a disaster. But obviously physical, since then, has become a lot less part of the bit. I mean, it's still 25%. CDs and vinyl make up 25%. I mean, I don't know how much cassettes add. Maybe <laughs> you know. But CDs and vinyl collectively make up 25% of Which the business. Which is a significant revenue Which is a significant stream. amount. So no one wants to see it go. But it was considerably more in 2013. It would have been a much bigger hit to lose HMV entirely then. I think the interesting thing this time round is, obviously there are two issues, which is that the record companies and the distributors will all be owed money <laughs> by HMV. And yeah. they're unlikely to see all the money that they were owed. And there were various rumours going around as we speak as to what the settlement is likely to be in terms of monies that are owed from sort of late 2018 and while the company is in administration. But in terms of what impact it has moving forward, I think it will actually impact on some of the bigger indies more than the majors. The majors are still selling plenty of CDs, particularly around more mainstream artists or artists that are pitched at an older demographic. But the majors have become so focused on the streaming business now. And even the catalogue departments of the majors, which perhaps a couple of years ago were still very much on the reissue and the box set, are now much more moving towards being focused on how do we generate more streaming out of our catalogue. Whereas there are still some independents for whom CDs still are a big chunk of the revenue for each of the releases they come out. Of course, there are those indies which are catalogue labels, and for them, the definite physical on the high street, a big part of the business. 
But there are other indies where, although the numbers they're shifting today are nothing like what they would have been back in the heyday, it still is a sizable chunk of money coming in as a record comes out. Now, obviously, we will still have the independent stores, we will still have Amazon, we'll still have director fan. But there is that thinking that by losing all of these HMV stores, if indeed that is the outcome of this... Which it might not be. Which it might not we'll be. We'll come on to that. We'll come on to that. But if it was that they were all to disappear overnight, then that probably would result in a noticeable further drop in CD sales overall, which might then damage the viability of labels and sort of the middle-sized indies of investing in CDs when they have releases coming out. So I think there are some people in the industry for whom it will be a double problem. First of all, <laughs> will we lose money because we're not paid everything we're owed in the short term? And we are still relying on CDs in the long term. But I think the powers that be, particularly at the majors, they don't want it to see it go. They certainly don't want to lose any short term cash. But streaming is now so much the core of their business that they can, if necessary, live with losing that HMV brand off the high street. And as I say, for the majors and, and the bigger players, they don't want it to happen but they're not going to scream and shout if it does happen. And they're certainly not going to get their checkbooks out <laughs> to try and rescue the company to stop that from happening. So it's left up to whoever might buy it. And it is up for sale. The deadline for bids was last Tuesday. On Wednesday, KPMG, the administrators, confirmed that they'd had a number of bids for the business, although they don't know what bits of the business or how much of it or even how much they were offering. KPMG said they couldn't give any details other than the fact that there had been bids. So we don't know what the possible outcome is as of yet. Although we would expect announcements quite quickly because, yeah. I mean, the administrators won't want to keep it all running <laughs> without a deal on the horizon. So it could and they well... Are, I mean, they are keeping it running at the moment. They did say in their statement, we're keeping it running while we assess the bids. So they're not you know, the administrators can just come in and shut a company down. So they clearly think that there is scope for it to continue running in some capacity with a new owner. But I would expect there to be an announcement on this pretty soon. Indeed, it may be one of those examples where as soon as we've finished recording this podcast, the statement comes in and then we're out of date. So do keep an eye on the CMU Daily. We'll obviously be covering this story. And as there is more clarity on what impact it will have in the short term in terms of money owed to labels distributors, Obviously, we'll be keeping an eye on that as well. So although that's all we can say about it right now, I think there'll be plenty more reporting on this in the daily as we go. And finally this week, Rihanna is suing her father, accusing him of exploiting her name and brand to fraudulently generate millions of dollars for a company he set up in 2017. In a new legal filing, Rihanna says that she has no formal business ties to her father or his firm, and yet him and his business partner have repeatedly claimed to represent her professional interests. Yeah, who doesn't love pop star suing parent stories? It's a classic. These are always amongst the best. So yeah, the details to this story, her dad is called Ronald. Ronald Fenty, because obviously she is Rihanna Fenty. He set up this company, Fenty Entertainment, in 2017 with a business partner called Moses Perkins. So immediately, Fenty Entertainment, I mean, obviously, everyone's allowed to use their surname in their company name if they want to. Yes, which Rihanna, which Rihanna Rih does quite a lot. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, although Rihanna performs as Rihanna, she has used her surname in various products and business ventures. And I suppose, so therefore, from the off, given that everybody knows that this guy is her father, and the fact that he's using the family name and she uses the family name might imply an official alliance. Well, and Fenty Entertainment is operating definitely within her field. But 
that isn't the complaint alone. So the lawsuit goes into detail about various things that this new company has done. So statements it has made, a press release that was then on its website, definitely implying that there was going to be formal links with Rihanna through this business. But then also conversations this company has had with potential third parties interested in working with Rihanna, in which Ronald Fenty has said, yes, I can put that project to my daughter. And then, well, this is all alleged in the lawsuit. I've put that project to my daughter. She's really up for it. These were like multi-million dollar projects. And then what Rihanna is saying, we were never told about these projects. We're not interested in these projects. My dad doesn't have permission. This is Rihanna's dad, not my dad. I mean, my dad doesn't have permission either. No, he doesn't. But he's not getting sued. <laughs> he isn't getting not sued. Yet. Rihanna's dad doesn't have permission to be having these conversations and we keep telling him to stop and he won't. Yes, one of the specific allegations in the lawsuit is that Ronald Fenty negotiated 15 shows in Latin America at a price of $1 million per gig. So that's quite a lot of money. Um, and also two shows in LA and Las Vegas for $400,000. Those are short 15-minute spots, in case you're thinking the math doesn't add up. Then. Yeah, no, just a quick appearance. And he told the person he was negotiating with that his daughter loved the idea and was ready to sign up for the shows. But actually, he had never spoken to her about them. And he had no mandate to have such conversations in the first place. In some ways, this is a trademark case, although actually Rihanna is accusing her father of various different uh, violations of the law. But it does seem like in some ways, maybe this whole dispute came to a head when last year, Fenty Entertainment went to the American Trademark Office and tried to register the Fenty brand, which they wanted the trademark to use that name for a boutique hotel resort chain project thing that they were working on. And Rihanna's legal team are saying that was just a ruse so that they could have the ownership of a Fenty trademark that would then possibly imply even more that there was some sort of formal tie to Rihanna. Yes. I mean, they said this lawsuit seemingly has been quite a long time coming. It said that Rihanna's lawyers have been sending various cease and desists over a long period of time. The last one they sent last month, it went unanswered again. So that's why she's now gone legal. Yeah, in the lawsuit, they listed all of the attempts that they've made to stop Ronald Fenty from exploiting his daughter's brand and name and reputation, all of which have gone unheeded. So that, they said in their lawsuit, judicial intervention is now necessary because defendants have made clear that they have no intention of ceasing their fraudulent and infringing conduct. In fact, they add, in the face of clear warnings, defendants continue to unabashedly perpetuate this fraud in an attempt to profit at the expense of Rihanna's rights. So that's a lawsuit I assume we're going to be hearing a lot more from. I mean, it may as yet settle, although it does sound like her dad's quite keen to carry on trading under his name. And I think while we all, that's the disclaimer we always have on these stories, that, oh, they'll probably settle out of court. Although when these things involve parents, the parents do tend to be quite bullish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> also, Rihanna's seeking a lot of money through this lawsuit. So, so damages for lost profits. And then there was something about her wanting three times that. I don't quite know what the legal argument is on that. And then money, I think, to pay for issuing adverts to affirm that this guy has no connection. And then obviously all the legal costs. So, I mean, millions and millions of dollars are being sought in this lawsuit if it does eventually get to court. You would have thought they could have sorted it all out over Christmas dinner. Maybe that's where it all fell apart. Yeah, maybe that is why we now have the lawsuit. They met over Christmas dinner in... Uh, you'd think Christmas lunch in Barbados would be quite nice, wouldn't you? Have it on the beach. But uh, clearly there was no 
family gathering where this could be settled once and for all. Yeah, you thought trying to discuss Brexit was bad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Try discussing with your parents their fraudulent abuse. Could you your... pass the sprouts? And while you're at it, please stop ripping me off. Respect my personality rights under Californian law. We should all try and drop that in for our <laughs> next family gatherings. I'm gonna. So yeah, interesting case that I am sure we will continue to follow as it evolves. That's all we've got time for this week. If you've got any feedback on anything we've discussed in this episode, you can email us at setlist at unlimitedmedia.co.uk. You can also find us on social media if you're still using that sort of thing in 2019. And like, I'm, like I'm there. I'm I'm being much more proactive on the old socials. Are you calling me a loser? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think that signifies that it's time for everyone to give up on social media. Even though... uh, I mean, it is. Social is terrible. Don't use it. Yeah, I'm kind of annoyed about that diagram I put out with the typo. It's fine on Facebook, though. So only look at me on Facebook. Don't look at Facebook. Where you can replace photos and go offline and come back with your silly 20th anniversary nonsense. Don't use social media. Okay. Although I do use Instagram. But, you know, one... One is all right, as long as it's not Facebook or Twitter or... Any of the other any social of the medias but Instagram. I mean, I don't even know about that one. Probably best not to have any. Anyway. Anyway, do tell your friends about the show because, you know, word of mouth is probably yeah, well, the best you, way. Just ban them from doing it on yeah, social. You're not allowed to do it on social It'll media. It'll have to be. Word of mouth is... Even tell someone to, on the bus. Even if you are using social media, like a loser... Word of mouth is always the best way to get something like this spread around the place for more people to listen to. And that would be good if we had more listeners because we're doing all right, but it's nice to have more. New year, new listeners. New year, new listeners. Yeah. Hashtag. I don't know, you just have to write it on a yeah, paper. Yeah, allowed. Put it, on a Put it on a post-it note, stick it on your wall. Anyway, uh, the fact that there might be people missing out on this show is something that we weep about late at night. So you're making us cry. Go and think about that. Setlist is the music business podcast from CMU. It's presented by me, Andy Malt, and Chris Cook. Produced by Matt Peaty. It's edited by Jason Wolfe. And for more on CMU, go to completemusicupdate.com. Recorded at Unique Facilities, Setlist is an unlimited production. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. See.
Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.